everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. Super excited today to have James Whitcomb, who is the founder and the CEO of Frontier Risk, Cannabis Insurance Made Simple, which we're going to get into today. James, it's so great to have you here, and congratulations on your recent $3.1 million seed round that you just closed and announced. Thanks. Great to be here with you. Um, Long overdue, have have you know known you and and sort of been in your your circle for years in the cannabis space. So I'm glad we're glad we're finally doing this. Completely agree. And I was just talking with Jeremy Burke. I had him on yeah. last week, and we were actually talking about your round in the in the episode because I think you're one of the only cannabis tech founders to get a round done this year. So. It's not the easiest time to be a tech founder anywhere, let alone in cannabis. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, I want to get into the round, but tell us about the business that's doing, you know, really well and was able to get a seed round done in this landscape. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, Jeremy's great. And I, I love what he's doing with his news outlet, you know, such an authentic and I think sophisticated voice actually, um, Actually caught up with him in person, probably right after you spoke. And yeah, it, it's a it's a pretty bad time for a lot of VCs. I would say it's better than it was six months ago. Um, and we are very lucky to have gotten something done at all. Um, and I think having been through the fundraising process before, you know, in in multiple different companies, you know, being able to plan for that and just kind of for that budget for that was was super helpful. But we're thrilled to be paired up with Casa Verde. It was really a raise that brought cannabis ancillary tech VCs together with traditional insurance VCs. And we chose investors and those investors chose us, you know, in this VC environment, it was more the latter, um, to be to be totally honest, um, you know, that that have built out large balance sheet insurance businesses like like reinsurers and carriers as much as they have insure tech businesses. And that was key to me because the problem that we're here to solve is one of capacity. Capacity means global balance sheet capacity among insurers to actually put money to work in the cannabis space. Barely exists today. And ultimately we want to build a large balance sheet to you know, be a, be a carrier and reinsurer behind all of our policies instead of just providing, you know, cannabis risk management expertise. So it's a fun story because we're using tech. You know, I think there's a misconception that there's no kind of reliable cannabis data sets out there that are really broad. Um, that That's not necessarily true. And we've been around the block long enough to kind of know where they live and be able to build bridges between them to... Uh, form a pretty good picture of, um, you know, what insurers should be worried about or not worried about in space. So I'll ask you the question that I've gotten asked a bazillion and one times from VCs of, Carson, why do we need a cannabis-specific hiring business? So James, why do we need a cannabis-specific insurance business? What are the challenges with insurance in cannabis and how do you go about solving it? You know, wh- wh- why do we need Frontier risk? Yeah, I think it goes back to the core question of, you know, I think a lot of listeners of of this podcast will understand that cannabis insurance is expensive. Okay, well, like, why is it expensive? It's expensive because 
there's not a lot of capacity. There aren't a lot of carriers or reinsurers out there that are touching the space. Okay, why is that? Well, that's because not a lot of loss data exists for cannabis companies, right? And insurance, which is one of the largest industries on the planet, you know, outside of pharma, um, and it might even be bigger than that, is an industry that relies 100% on historical information to predict future behavior. So if you've got an industry like cannabis where, you know, the, the loss reporting has been patchy, there are a lot of operators who aren't reporting losses because they they are maybe scared that they'll get crossways with their regulator or, um, you know, they're, they, they've just enticed a new carrier to come in to underwrite them and they're scared that if they report a loss, they'll get dropped the next year. I can't tell you how often that happens. And and so the, all of that has added up to the insurance industry just not understanding what's risky about the cannabis industry. So when I was at Parallel, um, you know, we obviously built a lot of these early day supply chains, you know, with our bare hands. And so after I left, I got to thinking, okay, you know, we've, we've literally built grows with our bare hands. Like in the early days, I was balancing the books at night. I was trimming plants during the day and, you know, dealing with HR issues in the afternoon. You know, common stuff that every cannabis founder will really relate to. Um, but because we built all those supply chains and, you know, we we watched when cer- certain hydrocarbon extractors, you know, had a flammable situation and we knew what to do to prevent that. And apply that to every part of the cannabis value chain, you know, um, understanding why in certain states two drivers have to go into a delivery van on and on and on, we're able to design better policies and ask smarter underwriting questions that get to the heart of, okay, what's actually going to go wrong in this business as opposed to what do current insurers think is going to go wrong because the decisions are being made in a boardroom with a bunch of people saying, oh, you know, we, this is too dangerous. Someone's going to die. Somebody's going to smoke a vape and die. Um, an extractor is going to blow up. People are going to die, et cetera. You know, it's just, just not, it's just not the case. It's it's one of the most regulated industries in the U.S., and that actually makes it less risky. Um, and so we're here to tell that story to reinsurance. You know, it's funny. When we were trying to get – so we have a part of our business is Vanks gigs. We provide Vanks W-2 ready-to-go employees to our customers. And so when we were first getting started, we launched in Colorado. I don't remember it being a huge – I'm sure we, it was extremely expensive, but I don't remember it being – a huge nightmare to get the workers' comp. I mean, I remember it being a nightmare, just not a huge nightmare. Yep. But then we ne- we wanted to go to California, and we had to go through the state fund to get mm-hmm. workers' comp. And yep. it was the most painful process I've ever been through. And we, they couldn't figure out how to classify the cannabis workers. So I think they ended up classifying them the same way that you would classify people running forklifts, which I, yep. you know, apparently... Yeah. But there's a lot of crashes on the forklifts because our insurance was like, I would show my friends who ran similar businesses in retail, hospitality, manufacturing, and they were telling me that our insurance was five times higher. Yeah, yeah. Because they just didn't have the history to know, do cannabis workers, trimmers, cut their fingers off? Um, and, and so it made it really hard for our business because... It was just so expensive to run essentially a basic staffing company. It's it's probably because you 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 weren't you weren't forklift certified, right? So that's that's the reason why they charge you so much. I, I don't even I, yeah. And then that, one more point on this: 
Then we had to get a farmer's license. And the CEO of the company had to take the farming test. Mm -hmm. So we had to go, I had to go to California and go in a classroom and take a farmer's exam. I passed after a lot of studying. (laughs) And I think I studied more for this farmer exam than I did for anything in college because there's more money on the other end of the line, on the other end of the test than anything in college. But anyway, so when you, when I heard that you were doing this, I was like, well, given my experience with insurance, this makes sense. There's a ton of pain to be solved out there. Yeah. No, look, we, we hear that a lot. Um, workers comp is tough. Um, we, and, and, you know, this comes back to, you know, human resource information systems that cannabis companies use as well. Like, you know, a lot of them are having to use cannabis-specific HRIS software. And, you know, HR teams setting that up, if, if you misclassify a worker, yeah, you're, you're going to overpay or in some cases way underpay for that, right? Um, we've seen people who are classifying cultivation workers as, you know, administrative office workers, somebody sitting behind a desk. And that, that's wrong in the other direction, right? So a big part of what we do is again, having, having run large payrolls at an MSO, you know, 2,000 plus people and understanding exactly what they do, not just what their title says they do, but what they actually do and kind of where in the warehouse they walk, where in the cultivation center they walk, you know, are they, are they working inside a C1, D1, you know, suppression system for a hydrocarbon extractor? It's like, you kind of need to know what these titles mean to be able to explain to the reinsurer, look, like this person is actually like over here in an inventory closet. Like they're, they're not going to explode. Right. And, and that, that, you know, can help bring prices down, but it, it does, it definitely takes knowing what you're doing. And yeah, back in, back on day one of parallel, we, we were with the Florida state um, workers comp fund, which, which all these uh, states call like the, the workers comp fund of, of last resort. Yeah. Uh, when no one else will touch you. Yeah, that was us. Actually to back it up a little bit for people listening that, that may not know your story around how you got into cannabis. Can you talk to us about a little bit about what you were doing pre-cannabis and then your journey into cannabis, which obviously ultimately led you to running a company? Because a lot of people listening to this, they start out by having a job in cannabis where they're, where they're, they're hired somewhere and then they have an idea and they want to go out and start something, which is exactly what you did. So I think it'd be super cool and inspiring for people to hear a little bit more about your personal story with cannabis. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting story. It's, it's not the most like altruistic and inspiring story, <laughs> but it, it, it's an, it's an honest story. So let's, let's kind of leave it there. Um, I was working on wall street, um, getting my ass kicked, but at a place I loved working, uh, great training, great people, super smart, really, really good for me. And, um, I got a call from, uh, parallels first equity investor, what, what was then called Certera in Florida. Um, and he said, Hey, um, there are two guys who have started this, this company. They've just won the first license in Florida. They need somebody to come down and be the third leg of the stool and kind of build the business. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're political operators. They're, they're brand builders. They're really good at what they do. Um, they, they need somebody to sort of build out supply chains. And, and prior to working on wall street, I was, um, I was a turnaround consultant for a private equity firm, like relocating factories from the UK to China, spending a lot of time in Southern China. So I, I, I kind of knew what it took to get from raw materials to like, you know, a vape pen going inside someone's mouth. 
And I, I still remember the day that I quit the bank, um, which again, I was you know, very fond of. And, and the story I'll tell you is that back then, when I, when I told the senior partner, uh, you know, whose team I was on, what I was leaving to go do, he paused for 60 seconds, like counted out one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And he just goes, you will never, ever, ever get your child into kindergarten. And I, I was just, I, I mean, I was, I was blown away. Like the schools wouldn't accept you? Yeah, the, you know, look, th this, this was, you know, a bank in Manhattan, right? And right. I was talking to somebody, you know, from, from the old school establishment, right, who sort of thought that, you know, because I was going to the cannabis industry, you know, that stigma would follow my family around forever and affect things like where my kids could go to school. Um, and so it made sort of a nerve-wracking decision even more nerve-wracking. And, and just for some personal context, at the time you were married with kids or this was where, what, what was going on in your personal life when you have someone tell you that you will never be able to have your kids get into kindergarten, let alone college. Yeah, you know, maybe that was part of it because I, I had nothing going on in my personal life whatsoever. Um, and that's, that's what made it so much easier, I think, to take the risk that, that jumping into cannabis was You're like, like well, I'll figure it out when I have a kid, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, you know, I uh, wasn't married, no kids. Now now I'm married with two kids. Um, uh, Did they two. get into kindergarten? <laughs> well, one's two and one's three months. But my two-year-old just started his first two-day twos program last week. And uh, the admissions process was competitive, but cannabis did not come up, thank God. So, <laughs> um, but no, I'm... I, All yeah. right, so keep going. So, you, so you, you're you in the meeting. There's a 60-second pause. This guy tells you your kids won't get in. You decide to do it, clearly. So, so then what happened? Yeah, and, and what happened was the next day I packed up a U-Haul um, from the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I drove down to Atlanta, um, where Parallel was headquartered and founded. Um, and it, I mean, it was just, I, I, I feel like from the summer of 2016, when I first started to maybe 2020 or 2021, it's it like one, one just long extended day. Um, all the stories about, you know, cannabis years being dog years or the inverse of that or whatever it is, um, certainly rang, rang true. And we were just constantly, um, you know, constantly trying to figure out what to do. Um, like I, like I said before, you know, I, I started there as kind of that third leg of the stool um, with the original two co-founders, and I, I was the CFO, and I was I was bouncing the books uh, at night and, and trimming plants during the day, and you know, doing everything in between. Um, you know, uh, like like going in and you know pulling a security guard's dog off of him when he illegally brought that dog to work at our original cultivation facility in Tallahassee and going to meetings with lobbyists in, in Tallahassee and you know we we had no money right back then we were all of us piling in my car driving like the the three or four hours from Atlanta to Tallahassee and then sometimes down to Tampa where we were building our first retail store. And I remember we would just work all day, like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night in one of the doctor's offices, which was inside of the retail store, because back then you had to have physicians' offices in your retail stores. And we didn't have office space. We were just working out of the retail stores and customers would come in and I'd be there on my laptop and 
you know, would be coaching the, uh, the you know, the store manager or, or bud tender, which we didn't call them back then. Um, we, we called them retail associates just because bud tender was like a California term back then. And, and it just really accelerated, um, you know, went through a few different management changes. And my last gig there was as chairman and CEO uh, of, of the business. Um, and, and, you know, like, like virtually everybody in the industry, we, we went through significant challenges and there were periods of investment. There were periods of kind of trying to right size operations and, and adjust to kind of the new normal. It was gnarly or it is still gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the, what I always tell people who kind of ask me about the cannabis industry and, and insurance is I say, cannabis is really just a bunch of guys or girls who are sitting in a circle, all trying to convince the other one that a commodity won't become a commodity. Like, full stop. One of the reasons I say that, like A, I lived that being an operator at an MSO, but B, the same thing is now true in cannabis insurance. Like insurance is a commodity. It's, it, it just is. It's, it's something that's driven by competition you know, from, from the supply side. And you know, we have created some waves, admittedly, by coming into the industry and, and being, I think, true experts where, it, look, there are some really good um, insurance brokers out there who are getting a great grip on cannabis. But quite frankly, you know, they've learned cannabis from their clients instead of the other way around. What makes me feel good is, you know, clients talk to us and they say, oh my gosh, you know, I, I feel like I could ask you anything about kind of what to do, how to grow, what, you know, like cannabis is all about making 50 mistakes instead of a hundred in order to survive or not survive. And so if we can help someone make 50 instead of a hundred, that's, that's a good thing. But um, yeah, so going back to kind of the story, you know, like, like everybody else, especially other MSOs, you know, dealing with so much price and compression in every single market, you know, prices falling in every market, just at, at different paces, you know, managing that was a lot, but I, I feel really good about the people and, and, and the talent that we, that we cultivated there. You know, I think at its peak, I was managing like 2,100 people um, across the organization and they were just amazing and, and still are, you know, par- parallel continues on. And so all throughout that time, I was usually the guy doing the insurance renewals and back in 2016, it was expensive. And when I finally left in 2022, it was still expensive and it hadn't really gotten better. And I was like, how can this be possible? Like most things in cannabis have gotten better, even banking, right? Like people always talk about like oh, banking is so hard in cannabis. This, that. It's, it's, it's really not like if you want a bank account, you can get it. It might. Yeah. Like it. And, and frankly, like, through 2020, it was kind of a competitive advantage how hard it was to, to, to get a bank account. And I, you know, people may label me as like sort of an MSO lackey by saying that, but like we worked really, really, really hard to be able to open a bank account in 2016, a process that took us like six months. And yes, you know, when a new market entrant that was a, another MSO wanted to come into our market in 2017 or 2018, like, yeah, that was a little bit of a moat. Uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be open about that. Now I'm really glad that the playing field has been leveled um, as far as opening bank accounts. But insurance really hasn't fundamentally gotten better. And so, again, due to lack of data, that's what we're here to change. 
So you left as chairman and CEO to start the business. And what was the first, up until the seed round, what, what was the founding story like? How did you go about getting the early team, building the early product? Talk to us about the, was this your, this was your first time founding a business. So what was that process like? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I think that given that cannabis companies sort of feel like startups, no matter how far along you get, like I left parallel sort of feeling like I had been a founder before just because every, every day you're sort of facing a new challenge that like somebody faces on day zero of running a business when it's really like day 2000. And, um, so I, I wasn't apprehensive about it. I, I knew the thesis would work. I, I knew the business would work. It was just a question of to what scale. And I think that's, you know, people, people talk about, okay, is it the right investment thesis? Is it the right timing? Those two things are equally important. But I, I actually think there's a third, which is like, you can get the thesis right and the timing right. The latter is usually harder, but if it if it can't really scale properly, you know, and you're a couple of years down the road, having gone through a couple rounds that like look good on paper but still kind of end in tears, that's 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 not a great thing, right? If if it doesn't scale, and so my my biggest question was, can it scale? And and I think the answer is yes, but we you know we don't we don't know yet. We're we're new. We opened we opened the doors of our brokerage like five months ago, um, and have had great early traction, but. You know, it's uh, it, it takes a lot longer than that to, to really prove it. And standards are higher now in VC than they were a year ago, two years ago, 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, we, we take those responsibilities really seriously. Um, there were a few folks from Parallel who wanted to come with me, uh, which was great. Um, my deputy general counsel at Parallel, a woman named Courtney Stow, um, who is just the, like, the most kick-ass person in cannabis, uh, in my opinion, just an, a ninja attorney who's super commercial, which I find decently rare, um, and and was trained by you know very well by my GC at Parallel. Um, she she came over and she is our COO NGC, and 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 she you know just licensing agreements, partnerships, JVs, securities law, corporate governance. I mean. She's the person that allows me to sleep all at night. Um, and then my head of corp dev at Parallel, uh, guy named Peter Berg, who um, is, has, you know, bo both of these individuals have been really in cannabis for six or seven years. Um, and then I knew I needed a large um, sort of in insurance company exec on the underwriting side and hired somebody from a, you know, quite a large carrier um, to be my head of underwriting. And, um, We've got a couple other folks on the technology side, and you know, I think, I think from a hiring philosophy perspective, like I, I hire based on one trait alone. Given what I went through in cannabis, which is, which mm -hmm. is resilience. Yeah, that's a great one. Like getting kicked in the teeth every single day and getting back up like it didn't happen. Um, getting kicked in the teeth that that like envisioning getting kicked. It's it's uncomfortable. It hurts, but teeth yeah. hurts extra. Yeah, and and that's that's what cannabis really felt like. I think for a long time. Um, and sometimes still feels like. It definitely still feels like it. But you seem, I got to tell you, James, you seem relatively calm, cool, collected. You know, you don't seem like somebody that's, I, I, I'm a little bit more <laughs> of a spaz, like a little bit more of a 
sporadic. I think you seem very even keeled and well balanced. Do you and I could be wrong. I know we don't know each other too well, but am I describing you correctly that that you're a pretty calm and level-headed CEO? I, I'm yeah. I'm I'm excited for the recording to come out here so I can play it for my wife, um, who will okay who who will kind of need this proof. But yeah, look, I mean, I think everybody in the industry who's been around this long, like, has got some pretty hard bark on them, um, and it's a combination of that of being numb of just like, look, you've seen how bad it can get as far as market conditions, so it's like. What else can you throw in front of me that I haven't seen before? Like exactly, it's I've, like, I've seen I've seen the worst explosions out there. Like there's nothing that's gonna like really surprise me. Quite frankly, um, I'm not saying it's healthy, but it just it just kind of is what it is. So well, speaking of seeing the worst explosions, having it be a gnarly time. It's it, right now we're recording this on September twentieth. As we were getting on, I saw a tweet from Chuck Schumer saying that they introduced Safer Banking Act today. Just two weeks ago, we heard from the HHS that they were making a recommendation to the DEA to move cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3. So it seems like it's been borderline all bad news in cannabis for years. And over the last two weeks, it's been more good news than we've seen. So... How are you feeling around the overall state of the industry? Where's your head at in terms of where we're heading as an industry uh, in the near term? Yeah, look, I think um, you can kind of tell who's been around the block a couple times by by sort of understanding like their raw, unbridled optimism about this stuff. Um, so with safe banking, like this is our eighth time around the circuit, right? Um, eight eighth time and look i i but i i will say this like um back when was it november when it was the seventh time around and i i've been public in in saying this and sort of like not you know not trying to be critical of lobbyists but but sort of just you know calling out the dynamic that exists between paying clients and lobbyists you know um as as a, a good buddy portfolio manager of mine says you know never ask a barber if you need a haircut um it's like I, I I am I'm absolutely more optimistic this time around. Like in November, I was like, no, the chances are zero. They're not forty nine percent. They're not fifty one percent. They're zero. This time, um, I, I I think there's a lot more happening. There's so many things we could talk about, but you know, the 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 thing that 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 will derail it if it gets derailed for an eighth time. I I, I don't think this time is lack of support um, or lack of administrative time. I I think it's about priorities um look we're we're going into probably the most contentious appropriations battle in u.s history so far where um you know mccarthy has a crazy fight ahead of him with almost zero options to win and i i I look at all of that and i say even if even if safer has everything going for it it's like it, it, at at eleven fifty nine p.m., when this will actually get done or not get done, is like, like, is there really enough attention on this issue compared to the dumpster fire that we have um, for the broader appropriations conversation? Um, look, this is the first time it's going down with the HHS kind of recommendation behind it. Um, and I've been, yeah, yeah, that that would be. I, I think I would put myself in the same camp 
issue of I'm feeling more optimistic because of HHS and just, you know, people not, representatives not wanting to look foolish by not getting this done when cannabis has been moved to a Schedule 3. But to your point, I mean, there's a lot of very, there's a lot of other things going on. And I think that's where the cannabis industry always, what we always forget is we sit around and think about cannabis legislation all day, but uh, if you turn on the news and you pay attention to the things outside of cannabis, there's a lot of very big, important challenges going on. And for, you know, our officials, cannabis just likely isn't one of them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we we all definitely work in an echo chamber. Um, it you know, anytime you're you're in like a passion project or a labor of love that 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 is the cannabis industry. And, and I think loving it is what it takes to survive it. It's going to create this echo chamber syndrome. And we all have to kind of lift, lift our heads up out of the trenches once in a while. But you're exactly right. And I, and I think that it was, I think it was Nancy Mace from South Carolina after the last go around in November that, that kind of, and, and, and I give her credit for this, kind of looked up and said, listen, it really wasn't as close as all you industry leaders thought it was. I don't know who was telling you it was this close, but it really wasn't. Um, and I, I, I think those comments came shortly after like MJ BizCon last year. Um, Which I think was like the most depressing MJ BizCon ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm hoping this year is going to be, I know we were, we were talking, we've got Benzinga next week and then we've got MJ Biz and, I feel like the last two years, it's been like sadness at these conferences. And so I've thought about not going because I just don't like to be around a bunch of people who are depressed. It sort of makes me depressed. But now I'm like, okay, people are getting pumped up again. So I'm really hoping that the next few conferences are, are much more upbeat than they've been. What what I'll say is like, I've done all types of team bonding and it's by far and away for me, the best team bonding ever is being around the craps table at two in the morning, like with your team. It's just like the energy there is is fun. So I, I plan on doing that again. Um, look, I, I think, and just getting back to the rescheduling thing, and, and I've been pretty vocal on this topic, um, you know, <laughs> Like there, there is no timeline for the for the DEA to respond to this. Um, I've heard rumors around some kind of ninety day line in the sand to kind of come in before or after that. I purely rumors, purely speculation. It, I, I, I don't, I don't even think that's true. To be clear, um, but but there is no timeline, and, and what I've also been consistent on is like now is the time that conservative forces, however you want to define that, people who are against this rescheduling, this is the time in the process to come in and intercept that, to sort of pressure the DEA to actually just just do nothing, right? Because doing nothing is a loss. It's it's binary in that sense. And it it's easiest to interfere by just giving the DEA reasons to sit on this, you know, ad, ad into them. Um, so that's 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 a real possibility, but look, I, you know, I, and I, where where I live in um, kind of the New York metro area, there are there's sort of a group of equity research analysts and portfolio managers that cover the space to get together. And the, one of the things we all agree on is like the HHS announcement came out of left field, like yeah. completely left field. I, I haven't talked to a single person running a portfolio who credibly knew that this was coming when it was coming. 
I think most people were thinking, okay, well, Becerra, you know, the HHS secretary kind of saying, we're going to try to get it done at the end of the year. Like typically that means like really, really end of year, not, you know. And in our experience, typically it means like it's probably not happening. Exactly. Exactly. Certainly not, you know, August 30th or whatever it was. Yeah. I think that was the day, which, which was actually my birthday. So it was interesting. Yeah, it was, we were on, so we had just gotten married and we were on first day on our honeymoon. So I was just sitting on the beach and I started like <laughs> seeing Twitter blow up and yeah, so just, I was pumped about it. Uh, it was, yeah. was, was, was great. Well, we're running out, we're, we're, we're running out of time here, but for people that want to get in touch with you about insurance to figure out how you can help them grow more cost effective, how you can remove some of this friction that comes with cannabis insurance and, and, and really take their business to the next level and hopefully save money. How could people get in touch with you or the team? I know that, you know, like, James and I have been talking, we're, we're working through switching. It's incredibly competitive rates in comparison to what else is out there. So everybody listening should tell your boss. I know everybody's trying to get profitable. These are the things that really add up uh, and you don't really think about. So save yourself a lot of money by switching over to, to James's insurance. Yeah, no, much appreciated. Um, look, our, our mission is to be accessible. Like when I thought about how to build this business, it, you know, frictionless intake is a huge part of our tech focus. And so if you go on our website, you, know, you can click one button and fill out a set of what we think are, are fewer but smarter questions about your business and press submit and, and we'll run with it. And, uh, and we'll get that dialogue going and get something to you quickly. Um, and and we, we've designed an intake process that, again, is based on kind of living and breathing those supply chains, building those supply chains ourselves. Um, so we're excited. We're, we're hugely excited. Um, and we've got a fantastic team behind us that all kind of built different parts of much larger cannabis businesses um, in their respective functions and just think really creatively. And... and not just think creatively about the future in order to help our clients, but like go through the Rolodex of like scars in their head about, okay, this is the mistake I made in 2016 and 2018 and 2019 on this partnership agreement or on this licensing deal or, you know, in hiring this cultivation manager that wanted to, you know, use this pesticide or whatever it is. Right. Um, so I think the amalgamation of all that knowledge is, is, is what the team brings to the table. And that's what we pass on to the client. Well, awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for spending some time with me this afternoon, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week in Chicago. It's great to see you on Zoom. It'll be even better to see you in person. Yeah, likewise. See you there. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.